Well, good morning again. My name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, to our guests, I want to say especially we're glad you're here with us uh, this Sunday morning. If you'd like to find out more about our church or perhaps connect with a staff member, you can go to the back cover of your order of worship here. You can scan this QR code, and that'll take you to a space where you can give us some information and connect with us should you wish. And then when we get there, uh, the sermon passage for today is found on page 10 in your order of worship. And on the chair Bible there in front of you, it's found on page 820. Again, that's page 820. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please take that one with you as our gift. We would love for you to have that. And then for our regulars here, uh, we've given the slide people the uh, holiday off. There's not going to be any slides during the sermon today. So you're going to want to have your order of worship or your own Bible open there in front of you. We'll be in Luke chapter 13, uh, verses 10 through 17 when we get there. So Colossians is over. We wrapped up Colossians. We finished with Philemon, which is kind of a small little book attached to Colossians, and now we have a week to go until Advent. Can I just tell you how much a church staff loves it when the calendar works out that there is a Sunday between Thanksgiving and Advent, because Advent is like fast forward for church staff. So we're excited to have a week. We can just like, okay, let's get ready. We can do this. So what are we going to do until we get there, because Advent starts next week. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick a story from Jesus' life, just an average, ordinary day where Jesus is in church. He's in the synagogue. The synagogue system was the uh, ancient form of worship that Jesus himself used. The early church basically looked at the synagogue system and went Control-C, Control-V, and created the early church worship right from the synagogue system. And you're very familiar to what you've seen here today. The only difference would be in the synagogue system, I would be sitting down and y'all would be standing. So we'll just leave that as it is. So, so with that in mind, we're going to be in Jesus teaching in a synagogue, basically preaching. So if you will, would you turn with me now to Luke chapter 13? We'll be looking at verses 10 through 17. And again, it's on page 10 in your order of worship. <clears throat> Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, this is God's word. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to redeem, uh, reveal yourself to us in speech that we might know you. And so, Father, we ask that as we come to this passage today, that you would once again open it up to us. We can see you as you are, see ourselves as we are, and have truth for our growth and for our transformation. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so our theme for today, what we're going to kind of walk around or orbit around today is this. When Jesus saw us enslaved by sin, he demanded our freedom. When Jesus saw us enslaved by sin, he demanded our freedom. So it starts off with the woman can't stand in the first couple of verses. So this woman is already in the crowd of worshipers. She doesn't come in late. She's there already. And as Jesus is teaching, she's already there. And Luke tells us that she has a disabling spirit. This is some sort of chronic illness. She's bent over. She can't straighten herself. It's a public frailty in a shame culture, which is a bad combination. There would be what we would call today victim blaming. What some of the younger generations would say, people are being very ableist towards her. There is this idea in a shame culture that, well, she's not officially unclean, but there'd be whispers. I wonder what she did 18 years ago to cause that to happen. What's God punishing her for? What'd she do? And we know this is their attitude because if you're familiar with the story of Jesus in another gospel, John chapter 9, the disciples, they see a man born blind. You Remember this story? And they say, hey, Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents that he's born blind? And if you read it, you can actually see it in the text. You can, just, you can almost see Jesus going, oh, it so doesn't work that way. It's not how it works. But you see, we are wired for law. We are hardwired deep in our firmware that you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. And so we tend to think if people are having a blessed life, hashtag blessed, they must be living right, right? And if they're unblessed, ooh, I wonder what they did. God knows what you did. But Jesus says, point blank, it's not how it works. You are not in control of the universe. You don't make things happen that way. And here in Luke, it's emphatic that her inability to fix herself is foremost. She can't do anything about this. Luke literally says she has a spirit of weakness. She has no power to raise herself up, he says. That's totally our condition, too, under the weight and burden and bondage of sin. A pastor from the 400s, like a long time ago, right, named Augustine, or maybe Augustine, says this, says, the whole human race, like this woman, was bent over and bowed down to the ground. You see, most of us, when we think of the concept of sin, if we've been around church at all, we think of some sort of evaluation, right? There's a list, we haven't done it, and now we're on an improvement plan, right? And that's kind of accurate, but the Bible also presents sin another way. It presents sin as a power that lords over us, as an invader that has captured us and has put us in bondage. It's a jailer. It's a new master that has us chained up in bondage, even if we don't know it. And that's really the concept of sin that's behind this passage. This passage today is about freedom. And I want to show that to you today. Like I said, we have no uh, slides. If you would, would you take out your order of worship and look on page 10? You may have noticed that I had, I had them highlight or bold three words there for you. The word freed is bold in verse 12. The word untie in verse 15, and the word loosed in verse 16. All three of those different English words are the same Greek word. 
behind it. It's a Greek word that means to set free, to liberate, to loosen chains. This is a passage about freedom, about being set free. Jesus is going to free this woman, and he lived and died and was resurrected. He could set you free as well from the prison of sin, from being kept in a spirit of weakness, having no power to straighten ourselves back up. Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected to set us free from that. And that's why we're here today. This passage is a preview of Advent, what Jesus came to do and what Jesus is coming again to do. So we look forward in hopeful gratitude to what he's going to do one day, someday, as we also acknowledge what he has already come to do. And that's just like this woman in this passage. She is in worship. After 18 years of whispers, 18 years of pain, 18 years of shame and being shamed, she's in public worship on the Lord's day. She hasn't given up. She still has hope. She just wants to be around God's people in worship on His day. It says a lot about this woman that she is right there. And Jesus sees her. And I love what this tells us about our Lord. He's up in front of the synagogue. He's preaching. And the text reads as if he suddenly notices her. He stops his sermon and goes, whoa, she shouldn't be like that. Let's fix that right now. He stops his sermon. He calls her over. And he authoritatively proclaims her freedom in front of everybody. Because for Jesus, healing is an ought. It must be. If you read the gospel accounts of Jesus, he seems to have this thing where if he notices sickness, he just can't ignore it. If he notices disease, if he notices disability, even a couple times he noticed death, and he has to fix it. He must fix it. He can't just let it go. And even in this little story here, we see the heart of Jesus because he's breaking social barriers, even talking to her in public. In the ancient Near East, those cultures, women were seen as tempters. They were to be both veiled and silent when not at home. Men were not to talk to them. And so Jesus here is being very indecent. The good people at church that day would be indignant at him stopping the sermon to talk to a woman. And yet, in spite of him breaking all their rules, I mean, he grew up in the synagogue, he knew the rules. What happens? God works and she is made straight. 18 years of suffering undone in a moment. It's a miracle. There's no other word for it. Either Luke is making it up or it happened. There's no third option. And in our social media culture, we forget what miracles are for. This is not... Jesus going after some publicity. Hey, let's create a buzz. He's not trying to go viral. He's not trying to gain more influence to get a broader audience for his message. No. Healing is a mandate for Jesus because he couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand that suffering, pain, disabilities, sickness, and death. They should not be. They are invaders into the creation, and so he is coming as a foretaste. He's putting things back the way they should be. He's giving a whiff of the world that will be one day, someday. 
So I have this thing that I do for the holidays. I do it for Thanksgiving. I do it for Christmas. I, I like to make mold wine. Okay, not mold, M-O-L-D. No, not mold wine. Mold wine. It's hot spiced wine. And as you're making it, it makes the whole house smell a certain way. I remember one day about a decade ago, uh, my oldest came downstairs and she goes, it smells like Christmas because I was making mold wine. And that's exactly what Jesus' healings are supposed to be. They're whiffs of the new world that is coming. When we see his healings, like, oh, it smells like the new earth. Oh, it smells like the new heavens. It smells like the world that will be one day, someday. This woman's disability is an invader into the world. And so Jesus' miracle here, all of his healings, they're a whiff. They're a breaking in of the world that will be, that should be, that must be one day someday when he comes back again so Jesus heals her and she glorifies God not Jesus she has no doubt that Jesus is somehow using the power of the God she has known and worshiped this whole 18 years if not longer he couldn't stand it when he saw her bent over so he set her free because when Jesus saw us enslaved by sin he demanded our freedom so the next thing we see that happens is the ruler can't stand. Just like Jesus couldn't stand to see this ruler suffering, the leader of the synagogue, kind of like a ruling elder, couldn't stand the breaking of the procedure. Look at me at verse 14 again. It says, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. He's indignant. He's upset. He's displeased. He's triggered, we could say. Now, let's be very clear here. He's not the bad guy. Satan is mentioned in verse 16, and when Satan's mentioned, uh, duh, he's always the bad guy, right? This guy is not the villain in this story. This man is concerned for orthodoxy. Praise God, we need people like that. He's trying to protect both his people he's responsible for and the honor of God. But in so doing, he shows he's blind to the actual work of God. And so Jesus is here. He's not only focusing on this woman, he's focusing on this religious leader as well. Because religious people can be just as lost as irreligious people. And so often, as you see, if you read the accounts of Jesus in the Gospels, he very often challenges religious people for their good. Jesus knew he was breaking pro pro protocol here. He did it on purpose. This religious leader, think about it, he was more than happy to have the new, popular, young teacher come and preach to his congregation. Absolutely, let's, let's, let's pack him in. Sure, Jesus, you can come and preach. He accepts the teacher, but what will he do with the Son of God and Savior when he demonstrates his power? And, and did you catch the irony here? It, it's a little funny. I know sometimes we're, we're kind of afraid to laugh at the Bible when it's funny. You're supposed to laugh at sometimes. Or, or maybe in this case, maybe not laugh as much as shake your head at the guy's reaction. I mean, brother doesn't bat an eye at the supernatural healings. You notice that? He doesn't even care. It's like he ignored it completely. Because it's not procedure. It's like, D -d 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 don't do it on these days. 
He's not questioning the healing. He's upset because the rules weren't followed. And again, he's not the villain. He's trying to protect his people. He's trying to protect God's honor. And he's right. God had a special day with very special rules. It was a day of celebration and a day of rest. But the religious people of the time had added in all these extra man-made rules. And they changed it from being a day of rest and celebration, a gift to being a burden. Let me show you just one of their rules. This is a low-hanging fruit. People reference this one all the time because it's just so great of a picture of what is wrong with them. So the Lord said in sacred scripture, don't cook on the Sabbath. Make, make plans in advance so you don't have to cook so you can rest on the Sabbath. They said, well, you know what? Just to be safe, you, if you take a bath on the Sabbath, you can't dry by the fire. Because the heating of the water off your skin is cooking. Right? So you got to shiver it out. Sorry if you, if you bathe on the Sabbath. You can't, you can't handle it. See, the Sabbath is supposed to be a gift, and they had added all this stuff and made it such a burden. That's why in another account, Jesus says, the Sabbath is not made, man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. It was supposed to be a gift for them. Jesus came to restore the joy, the rest, the celebration of the Sabbath to all of life instead of it merely being stuck on one day. See, what I mean by that is when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you become united to him by faith. So what's true of Jesus is true of you. And guess what? Jesus was the best Sabbath keeper ever. And so when you are united to him, guess what? In him, you are counted as the best Sabbath keeper ever. You are fully obedient to the Sabbath. And so every day in Jesus becomes a moment of Sabbath rest and restoration for you. It is now a gift for you. See, for the religious ruler, he'd missed all of that. And he was focusing on the human-made rules rather than what God was doing. And you see that right there in the text. He says, hey, hey, let God work on any other day. That, that's fine, Come back and be healed then. God can't do good stuff on God's day. (laughs) He looked at this woman in her pain and he said, wait one more day. You are not as important as this rule is. Now, if you're investigating Christianity, I hope you see the heart of Jesus here. Not only does he ignore those human-made religious burdens, he won't wait to heal this woman. It reads to me as I read this as if he's more bothered by her infirmity than she is. She seems to kind of just accept the status quo here, but Jesus does not accept it. He's bothered when his people are weighed down by sin and sickness and disease, when they're bent over, under a burden, unable to straighten themselves back up, powerless to do anything about it. Because when Jesus saw us enslaved by sin, he demanded our freedom. In other words, the Savior can't stand it. I appreciate the honest portrayals of Jesus in the Gospels, like the one we see here. He is so gentle, and he is so kind with sufferers and with his seeking people, but at the same time, he is so fierce. The Lion of Judah roars at those who oppose his ministry or who put burdens on his people. 
He's indignant at the religious leader's indignation. The religious leader publicly called out Jesus and rebuked the people, so Jesus publicly calls him out and rebukes him and all those like him. Let's read it again in case you miss it. Verses 15 and 16, what does he say? Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Whoa, that's pretty harsh language, right? I mean, I can kind of see Peter kind of pulling him aside and handing him a copy of you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Have you read this, Jesus? You might want to be a little gentle. Why is Jesus so upset? Remember those three bolded words, untie in verse 15, loosed in verse 16, and freed in verse 12. They're all the same word. Jesus forces a connection to what he did with this woman by using that same word in verse 15 and 16. He forces a connection. Here's what I mean. Think about what a donkey or an ox was to a family in that culture. These weren't pets. These were assets. They are primarily of economic importance. Jesus is saying here, hey, if the only time you can change the oil on your work truck is Sunday afternoon, guess what, Haas? You're changing the oil on Sunday afternoon, aren't you? If your tractor breaks down during planting season and you only got some time on Sunday, guess when you're fixing your tractor? Because that's important. That's money, right? You'll fix it on the Sabbath. This is not have as much compassion on this woman as you do animals. As sentimental as that sounds, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying here, you care for your money on the Sabbath with no concern for your rules, but you will not allow for the care of one of God's people on the Sabbath? That's something to be indignant about, isn't it? In spite of all the rules, if your personal economics are threatened, Sabbath shmabbath, you take care of business. But if it's just the suffering of another, she can wait. Several years ago, I got to go, uh, I was with a church planting friend of mine, an African-American guy, and we were in Birmingham, Alabama, and we got to go to the uh, Civil Rights Museum there. And um, we went to the actual jail cell they had there uh, where Martin Luther King wrote a letter from a Birmingham jail. And and I'm not the quickest person, and I'd read this before, but it never actually occurred to me, oh, he wrote it from a Birmingham jail. It's like, this is the actual cell he wrote it in. And I, I... after that museum, which was very impactful, I reread that famous letter, and I read it with new ears. And this passage in Luke really made me think of Martin Luther King, and I wonder if he had this passage in his mind when he wrote that letter, because he talks about waiting and about waiting, and he says, I have heard wait from the, those in power long enough. I've come to understand that the word wait actually means never. And that leads to his famous quote that many of you probably know, right? That justice too long delayed is justice denied. And Dr. King was a minister of the gospel. And again, I wonder if he was just thinking of his Savior from verse 16 here. Because verse 16, Jesus says, No waiting. She must and shall go free. He literally says in the Greek, It must be that this woman be free. It must be that she be free. Jesus is indignant because the religious system didn't care if her healing was then or, frankly, never, as long as it wasn't then. 
And in doing this, you see, Jesus actually gives us updated instructions for the Sabbath here. This is a day of freedom, a day of rest, a day of renewal, a day of grace. John Calvin, a European pastor from the 16th century, said it this way. He said, basically, you know, the religious leader assumed that God's power slept in on Sunday, when actually it's the day when it's most active. Jesus is showing us that's the Sabbath now when God's power is active in his people. It's a day of reversals. I mean, you can see that here in the text. Instead of the woman being shamed in her disability, the religious types were shamed. The religious leaders reprimanded the people in their need. Jesus serves the people in their need and reprimands the religious leaders. And the people, it tells us in verse 17, rejoiced at the whole episode, the healing, Jesus' words, the relief of a Sabbath burden, the hope of a God who actually cared for them more than the procedures. In Jesus, they saw that their time had come because when Jesus saw his people enslaved by sin, he demanded their freedom. Let's wrap this up. I want you to think of the song that we had during the offering. It's why I asked them to do this because it is verse 16 here. It comes from verse 16. She must and shall go free. Jesus demands it. And you too, dear friend, can be set free this Sabbath as well. Sin is a burden on your back that weighs you down. You have no power to straighten yourself up. It bends you to its will. It offers you momentary pleasures, but ultimately it's lying to us and ultimately it's trying to kill us. It holds us in bondage. And like this woman, we are completely unable. We have no power to free ourselves. But Jesus has shown himself to be the chain breaker. He's the great liberator. When he saw his people in sin, he did not say, follow the rules and wait No, to deal with the invader of sin and death, he invaded humanity. That's what we're going to celebrate over the next month, that Jesus became one of us so he could enter the prison with us and break us out. That's the message of Christianity, that Jesus lived the life that each of us should live before a holy God. Then he died the death that each of us deserve to die before a God of justice. And in his resurrection, he proves that God has placed our sins on him and his righteousness on us. And he has overcome sin and death. And he brings us to himself in the offer of salvation by grace. Oh, if you have done that, if you own that, if you rejoice in that, see again the passion your Savior has over you, over your healing and over your restoration and over your freedom. And let it drive you to worship this Advent season. And if you're here today and you wouldn't say you've done that, this is what's available to you. Not a bunch of new rules, but a new life without the burden of guilt and sin and shame. Now, if you want that, you can have it. Just place your simple faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as he's offered in this gospel. And you will be his and he will straighten you up and set you free. Uh, don't wait. Do it now. Let's pray together. Now, gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the powerful message of your grace. Lord, we thank you for the story, the account of this miracle that points to the miracle that we all can experience when we place our faith and trust in you. When you set us free from the burden of sin,
straighten us up, and set us free. Lord, I pray for those here who've done that, that you would once again give us a joy in our hearts at how great your salvation is and how favored we are. And in that joy, Lord, would you enable us to new obedience and new worship and new peace. And Lord, we pray that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up and shown to be crucified for sinners and raised for our new life, that as He has been lifted up, You would be true to Your promise to draw all people to Him, even now. Lord, would You do Your work of causing many to repent and believe this gospel so that Your kingdom would truly come and Your will would be done right here as it is in heaven. I pray that You would do this, Father, by Your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.